Mormonism 101 for Teens is a valuable resource for anyone wanting a simplified view of the Mormon religion from a Christian perspective. Mormonism 101 for Teens is available at your favorite Christian bookstore or at mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Your Divine Nature and Eternal Destiny. It was a conference message given by Mormon Apostle Dale G. Renlin. He gave this on Saturday afternoon, April 2nd, 2022, in the General Conference Women's Session. So he is speaking to female members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We've been going through some of the things that he mentioned And we're up to the point where, as we talked about yesterday, he says that speculation will not lead to greater spiritual knowledge, but it can lead us to deception or divert our focus from what has been revealed. And in yesterday's show, we were citing some statements from Mormon leaders who were insisting that it makes perfect sense that you have to have a heavenly mother if you have a heavenly father because you need a mother in order to have spirit children. But yet, that seems to go against the grain of what Renlin is trying to teach us in this talk when he said, reason cannot replace revelation. And yet, isn't that exactly what these leaders were doing? They were using reason as far as how we understand the procreative process is done here on earth as something that must obviously be done in heaven. Even though revelation, and in this case, I would cite Genesis 126 and 127, Where God says, let us make man in our image, and in the image of God created he them. Revelation doesn't mention a heavenly mother at all. But yet they want to reason this out, and it sounds clearly that that's exactly what they're doing, and so they come up with this doctrine. Now, yes, they do say that they can trace it back to Joseph Smith, but as we've been talking about this week, there is no place in Mormon Scripture, neither the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants that gives us any hint of the existence of a Heavenly Mother. And I would argue that that seems to be problematic especially according to what we cited yesterday by Dallin H. Oaks, that our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. Getting back to that thought, Eric, our highest aspiration is to be like them. Dale Renlin is going to proceed off of that, and he's going to talk about that we are not to pray to heavenly mother. But yet at the same time, he just quoted Dallin Oaks, who said, Our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. And there is a problem in Mormonism where some Latter-day Saint women are wanting to pray to Heavenly Mother, and they've been admonished by leaders of the past, such as Gordon B. Hinckley, and now we see Dale Renlin, where they're told not to do that. But if you're supposed to be aspiring to be like them, why wouldn't a Latter-day Saint woman want to pray to both Heavenly Father or maybe just Heavenly Mother? 
Bill, to me, the question is, why does God the Father of Mormonism hog all the glory? Because he's the one who gets all the acclaim. We're supposed to pray to him, and Heavenly Mother is really in the background. And yet, Mormon women are supposed to want to aspire to being like Heavenly Mother so that they can be relegated to being in the back of the car while Heavenly Father takes all the glory. I just, to me, if you're going to have a doctrine of a Heavenly Mother and telling your people to try to be like Heavenly Mother, I don't know if I'm a Latter-day Saint woman who likes this. And so, no duh, why do some women resist? They become feminists and they end up praying to Heavenly Mother because they think that she deserves more. After all, didn't she do exactly what Heavenly Father did to get to the celestial kingdom? You would think so, and I've always been troubled by the mere fact that Heavenly Mother doesn't even have a name. They don't even know how to address her in a prayer, whereas at least they can address Heavenly Father, or if you want to get a little more personal, do some Latter-day Saints actually address their prayers to Elohim, because that's supposed to be the name for Heavenly Father. But yet, at the same time, this statement sounds like there's an equality here. But I think you're right. Most Mormon feminists realize there's no equality here at all. They've recognized this problem, and this is what bothers them. Here we have another case of an LDS leader saying very specifically that you are not to pray to Heavenly Mother. Now, as a Christian, I would agree. You don't, because she doesn't exist. But I can understand why this would be a controversy in the context of Mormonism. But then Renlund goes on to say this. Ever since God appointed prophets, they have been authorized to speak on his behalf, but they do not pronounce doctrines fabricated of their own mind or teach what has not been revealed. I want to challenge that statement. We've done this in a number of ways, but I want to go back to a a very infamous sermon given by Brigham Young in April of 1852, when he taught that Adam was God and the only God with whom we have to do. Now, Dale Renlund says, Latter-day prophets have been authorized to speak on his behalf, but they do not pronounce doctrines fabricated of their own mind. Now, Brigham Young called that Adam-God sermon a doctrine. He said that that was doctrine, and not to treat it lightly or it would prove your salvation or damnation. Sounds like a pretty serious doctrine, at least to Brigham Young. Now, Latter-day Saints don't believe that today. They don't believe that Adam is God. In fact, they'll roll their eyes if you even bring up the subject. But the reason I want to bring it up is because if it's true that these Latter-day prophets of Mormonism, who were supposedly authorized to speak on Elohim's behalf, and they do not pronounce doctrines fabricated of their own mind, was the Adam-God doctrine taught by Brigham Young, not just in April of 1852, but believed by him to the end of his life and believed by other leaders in the church during his lifetime, was that a doctrine that was fabricated or was that a doctrine that was revealed from God himself? Now, Brigham Young said that God did reveal that doctrine to him. If what Rentland is telling us is true, then wouldn't that kind of imply that Brigham Young was deluded? Because if you don't believe it today, then obviously you're assuming he must have fabricated this doctrine in his own mind. 
wouldn't that be somewhat of a dilemma for most Latter-day Saints? What do you do with that? Do you just ignore it and maybe it'll just go away? I guess the problem I'm having with trying to understand LDS theology is I'm trying to approach it like I want to approach my own theology. I know that I'm only very finite in my understanding of a lot of things, but I want to be as consistent as I possibly can based on what God has revealed in his word. And I want to try to put all these dots together. And do Latter-day Saints just say, I don't care. Something as blatant as this statement that Latter-day prophets are authorized to speak on God's behalf, but they don't pronounce doctrines fabricated of their own mind. But certainly, Adam God was a doctrine that must have been fabricated if you as a Latter-day Saint don't believe it today. What do we do with Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith taught that there was life on the moon. Are we to believe that that was just speculation? Or was that a revelation that was given to him? Now, a Latter-day Saint might say, well, yeah, but that was never voted on by the church. Well, neither was Heavenly Mother. So you can't run to that excuse because there's no consistency in that. But Joseph Smith did teach that there was life on the moon. Uh, Brigham Young (laughs) taught something very similar. This is what he says in Journal of Discourses, volume 13, page 271. Who can tell us of the inhabitants of this little planet that shines of an evening called the moon? When we view its face, we may see what is termed the man in the moon and what some philosophers declare are shadows of mountains. But these sayings are very vague and amount to nothing. And when you inquire about the inhabitants of that sphere, you find that the most learned are as ignorant in regard to them as the most ignorant of their fellows. So it is with regard to the inhabitants of the sun. Do you think it is inhabited? I rather think it is. Do you think that there is life there? No question of it. It was not made in vain. It was made to give light to those who dwell upon it and to other planets. And so will this earth when it is celestialized. Every planet in its first rude, organic state receives not the glory of God upon it, but is opaque. But when celestialized, every planet that God brings into existence is a body of light, but not till then. Christ is the light of this planet. Now, Eric, explain to me, do you think Brigham Young was speculating, or was he giving something that was revealed to him by God? Because that's what he's supposed to be giving, according to Dale Renlin. Is he speculating? Because many of the Latter-day Saints that I've spoken to, whenever this subject comes up, and it doesn't come up a lot, of course, but they don't seem to agree with that. But yeah, isn't it interesting that Brigham Young starts off that paragraph by talking about the inhabitants of this little planet? And of course, you know, the moon isn't a planet. But he says, is it inhabited? Where do you think he got that? He probably got that from Joseph Smith. Because we do find in a young women's journal, it talks about Joseph Smith teaching that. I want to cite Oliver B. Huntington, as I said, this is from the Young Women's Journal, Volume 3, page 263, where Oliver B. Huntington says this. Now, remember, this is an LDS publication. Nearly all the great discoveries of men in the last half century have, in one way or another, either directly or indirectly contributed to prove Joseph Smith to be a prophet. As far back as 1837, I know that he said the moon was inhabited by men and women, the same as this earth, and that they live to a greater age than we do, that they live generally to near the age of 1,000 years. He described the men as averaging near six feet in height and dressing quite 
uniformly in something near the Quaker style. Now, going back to what Renlund said, did Smith say this based on revelation or was he speculating? Because this is what makes it difficult, I think, for a faithful Latter-day Saint to try to be as consistent as possible in their theology. Again, uh, I think you're making a great point in, in that Gospel Topic essay where it says, while there is no record of a formal revelation to Joseph Smith on this doctrine, some early Latter-day Saint women recalled that he personally taught them about a mother in heaven. I see nothing official in this. How do we know that maybe he was just speculating, just like he was talking about men on the moon? Exactly. That, and that's the, that's the point I'm trying to make here. He's saying, a, he's saying certain things in a private conversation, it sounds like. All of a sudden, down the road, this becomes doctrine. And what else did he do that became doctrine down the road? Remember when he was being visited by a couple from out of town, and he says that a prophet is only a prophet when he's acting as such? Well, that was another private conversation that he had, and then all of a sudden, this gets announced in general conference, and it becomes a doctrine. Now, whenever you bring up some of the silly things that Brigham Young said, or what John Taylor said, or even some of the things that Joseph Smith said, as in this case, with men being on the moon, being six feet tall and dressing like Quakers and living to be a thousand years old, I would hope modern Latter-day Saints would read that and say, we know that can't be true. But it just seems odd to me how some things can be looked upon as being mere speculation as the time they were said, but then all of a sudden, years later, they become main doctrinal pieces in this whole Mormon puzzle. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.